This is Dr. Benny Tate, and I would like to thank you for tuning in to this week's message at Rock Springs Church. Wherever you are, I hope this message encourages you and helps you grow in your walk with God. Here's this week's message from Rock Springs Church. Why don't you take your Bible, if you're able to stand, turn with me to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3, we're going to read verse 20. Paul is speaking to the church, the church, God's people at Philippi. And this is what he said. He said, but we are citizens of heaven where the Lord Christ Jesus or the Lord Jesus Christ lives and we are eagerly waiting. Everybody say eagerly waiting. Yeah, we are eagerly waiting for him to return as our savior. Let's pray together. Jesus, we love you and we thank you for your spirit and presence that we have felt thus far. And Lord, I pray that your spirit continues and it continues to speak to us through your word. And God, I pray that you would not allow us to leave here like we came in Jesus' name. And together, everyone said, amen, amen. You could be seated. You could be seated. For the last couple of weeks, Pastor Benny has been sharing with us about Israel, Hamas, America, and the future. And through those messages, we have seen people give their heart and life to the Lord. And I'm so thankful for a pastor that will stand up and speak about what's going on in our world. Yes. Hey, even when, even when we say, well, well, what might happen? Well, we're fearful. Well, I don't know. We, we had people, well, what? I don't know about these flags. Should we take these flags down? I just don't know. Look, folks, if, if we start thinking about everything that's divisive, we might as well just throw the Bible away too because it might hurt somebody's feelings. It might... I'm so thankful for a pastor that will speak on those issues and will tell us the truth. So grateful. And we've been talking about it. And I know that Jesus is coming back. And if he's coming back, we need to learn about his coming. We need to look for his coming. We need to long for his coming and we need to live for his coming because he is coming. And so today, in that same vein, in that same thing, I want to talk to you about how to eagerly await his coming. I think there's some things we need to be doing and stop doing if we're going to be eagerly awaiting his coming. Now, I've, uh, I have infamously been known, uh, speaking of baptism, as, as the, I've had some epic baptism failures in my life. Um, but today's not about my baptism failures, so I'm not showing that to you. Um, it, there's a couple million views out there. You can go laugh at me later. Somebody will share it with you, I promise, gladly. Um, but, but there was a video that I saw that, that kind of dealt with baptism and, and uh, this little boy that was eager. So I want you to check this out. This morning, uh, we have accepted Christ as his Savior and as his Lord and he will demonstrate his faith in the Lord Jesus Christ uh, by willingly being baptized this morning. He's been waiting on this day a long time. <laughs> and so, Jordan, upon the profession of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, I now baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. <laughs> 
Hey, crazy things happen in the baptistry. But he was eager. He was excited. The man was taking too long. Like he's ready to go. Let's get this thing on. And if we really believe that Jesus is coming back, we ought to be eager about it. We ought to be excited. Adrian Rogers said this. He said, we ought to be living as if Jesus died yesterday. He rose this morning and he's coming back this afternoon. We should be eager. We should be excited and living that way. And if we believe that he's coming back, there's some things that I, I know the Bible tells us to be doing. And I want to jump into those. The very first thing I want you to write down is that you need to refrain. We need to refrain from judging. We've got to refrain from judging. Paul told us in 1 Corinthians, he said, so don't make judgments about anyone ahead of time. Ahead of what time? Before the Lord returns. So that tells me until the Lord returns, none of us get to, get to criticize anybody. We don't get to judge anybody. Now, once the Lord returns, if you're still here, you can be critical. That's up to you. I'm not going to be here to hear it. I don't have to read your Facebook post. We don't, we don't need to be making judgments and being critical according to what Paul said. And you say, well, what about if, what if they get away with it? We'll keep reading for the, for the Lord or he, God, will bring our darkest secrets to light and he will reveal our private motives and then God will give to each one whatever praises is due. God is going to take care of it all. You don't even have to worry about it. You know what I figured out? I figured out God's not going to be looking for me to come help judge you. It, you isn't that a relief? Like if some of you are like, yeah, don't I know it? Like, hey, he's not going to be like, hey, go get Cameron over there. He's the one shaking in the corner, worried about his own judgment. Would you go get him and bring him up? There's some people that went to Rock Springs that he knows, and I need to find out what he thinks about him. And what, that's not going to happen. And it's not going to happen for you either. He's not going to call you up and ask you your opinion on some things because he is a righteous judge. He's going to be able to judge with fairness and with justice. He's going to judge accurately because he knows the motives of the heart. You say, well, where does that leave me? Well, Mother Teresa said, if you judge people, you have no time to love them. You see, we're just supposed to love. Billy Graham said it this way. He said, it's the Holy Spirit's job to convict. It's God's job to judge. And it's my job to love. See, because we will judge people for 30 years or for their lifetime. We'll judge them for 30 years over something they did or something they said, maybe in just 30 seconds. We all make mistakes. We all say things we wished we wouldn't have said. We do things we wish that we could take back and that we would do differently if we could take them back. But many times we're judged for our entire lives for those things. And I'm so thankful God doesn't treat us as our sins deserve. He doesn't treat us that way. Mark Lowry said this. He said, how about you hate your sin? I'll hate my sin and let's just love each other. Hey, I think that's a good thing. I think, how about you just hate your sin because you got it? You got it, trust me. 
you just hate your sin. I'm going to hate my sin. Trust me. The Holy Spirit's convicting me. I'm working on me every day and I hate everything about me that doesn't look like Jesus. I'm going to hate my sin and together let's just love each other. Let's just love each other. Jesus told us in John 13, 35, he said, by this, everyone will know you are my disciples. How? If you judge one another. No, that's not what he said. He said, if you love one another. That's how the world is going to know you're my disciples, because you love one another. You say, yeah, but you don't know what they did. I, I don't remember reading that part. Well, it, you, they're going to know you if you're my disciples, if, you, if they hadn't treated you bad, if they hadn't done something against you, we still got to love them. Amen. We still have to love them because God loved us. See, I'm determined many times to get the splinter out of my eye and I'm looking around the big old log to trying to get the splinter out of your eye. I'm determined. I'm going I'm to be looking at everything you got going on and all that you're not doing right and all that I think you're doing wrong and I've got a big old log in my own eye. You see, if we're eagerly awaiting his return, we've got to refrain from judging. There's no place for it in the church. The problem with people wanting to come to church is for many of them, they've been. And they've seen how you're treated. They see how people look down their nose self-righteously at somebody else. And they call us hypocrites. What if we all just honest and just say, yes, I'm trying. I'm working on it. I fail in a million ways, but I'm still working on it. And I need you to love me and encourage me and help me. Amen. See, we've got to eagerly await his return by refraining from judgment. Number two, you need to remind yourself of God's faithfulness. Remind yourself of God's faithfulness because God is faithful. Listen, for every one time in the Bible that we, that we, uh, the Bible talks about Jesus coming in a manger and his birth and he's going to be born. For every one time that the Bible refers to his first birth and his first time coming to earth, eight times. Now we have a day. We have a day that we celebrate the birth of Christ. It's Christmas. We all buy gifts for each other, oddly, uh, for Jesus' birth. But, but we celebrate that. But for every one time the Bible mentions that day, eight times it talks about he's coming again. He's coming again. You better get ready. You better get ready. He said he, he came that time, but he's coming again. Eight more times it talks about this. Maybe we need eight holidays celebrating it. And I show up and I give you a gift. And I say, Jesus is coming back. Go ahead and open it. Jesus is coming back. Maybe we need to be talking more about Jesus coming back than we're talking about Christmas. Maybe Walmart needs to have a sale, say a Jesus coming back sale. Hey, free shipping from Amazon because Jesus is coming back. <laughs> Buy your friend a gift. Hey, I think we need to be ready and remind ourselves that God's faithful. Hebrews tells us, Hebrews 9, 27, 28, Christ offered, was offered once for all time as a sacrifice to take away the sins of many people. He was only going to do that one time, but and then he will come again, not to deal with our sins this time around, but to bring salvation to all who are eagerly waiting for him. Hey, he's bringing salvation. He's coming and salvation is coming with him. And he's going to 
be saving each and every one of us that are eagerly waiting for him. On March the 11th, 1942, in the height of World War II, General Douglas MacArthur, who was the face of American optimism, uh, was, he was the face. He was the face of hope that we could win this war. And in 1942, General Douglas MacArthur was on the Philippine Islands and the Japanese army were pressing in from all sides to take those islands, those strategic islands. And the general was there and his officers came to him in the middle of the night and they said, General, listen, we've got to get you off this island. They're pressing in from every area, from every side. It's about to get really crazy here. We've got to get you off. And he, he, they said, we can't allow you to be in harm's way. You mean too much to the scope for the American people. They need to see you. It'd be a devastating blow if we lost you. We've got to get you out. And under the cover of darkness, in the night, in a PT boat, they snuck their way through the Japanese naval fleet through harm's way and got him to safety. And he's quoted as saying, I have come through and I will return. He said, I will return. And a little over two years later on October the 20th, 1944, the victorious General Douglas MacArthur came and waited upon the shores in the Philippine army and making true his promise. I said I would come again and I have come again. I have returned. But listen, folks, there's somebody greater than General Douglas MacArthur. There's Jesus Christ that in John chapter 14, he said, I got to go away, boys, but I will come again again and receive you unto myself that where I am there you may be also and when Jesus says it you can bank on it if he said he's coming he's coming I'm telling you he is coming Jesus is coming again pastor Benny said hey if, if, if Jesus tells you if God tells you that an elephant can lay an egg get your skillet right you about to have an omelet because Jesus is coming again. And if we're going to eagerly await his return, we've got to remind ourselves that he's faithful. Whatever he said he would do, he will do. And you can bank on it. God is faithful. But if we're going to eagerly await his return, you need to regularly review the cross. You've got to regularly review the cross that's why I'm so thankful that Pastor Benny led our church. And for years, it was in his heart, and he would talk about it with us as a team, that he wanted a, he wanted a 120-foot cross on his property. He said, I want a cross, and we're going to stab our flag in the ground and let the whole world know where we stand. I want a cross that's going to remind people, he would tell us, I want to remind people of what we're here for, what it's all about. And listen, he took criticism. People in the community, well, he's building a, that's a sign for Benny Tate. No offense, but that does not make me think of Benny Tate. That doesn't make me think of Benny Tate. I love Benny Tate, but that right there makes me think of Jesus Christ and all he's done for me. And we need to make sure, we've got to make sure that that's not just a monument that we drive past because the cross doesn't mean much to us. We've got to make sure that when we drive past it, it reminds us of all that Jesus has done. And you just start on your way in as soon as you see it, thanking God for all he's done for you. It needs to be a reminder. First Corinthians tells us for every time you eat this bread and you drink this cup through communion, you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. So whether it be through a cross or through communion or through turning our eyes upon him, we've got to regularly review the cross. We need to look at it. We need to be reminded of it and the power in it. 
Oswald Chambers said, all of heaven is interested in the cross of Christ and hell is afraid of it while men, men are the only ones to ignore its meaning. God help us. God help us. See, when we think about Jesus coming back, it ought to remind every one of us to review the cross. Think about what he's done for us on that cross. But not only that, number four, you need to refuse to neglect church. And you got, you say, well, listen, preacher, you're talking to the choir right now. We're here. Well, we're streaming it. Okay. There's some people on the other side of the camera too. You're fine. You relax. Just take this point off. You don't have to think about it, but we got to refuse to neglect church. It's important. Hebrews 10 25 says this. It says, let us not neglect our meeting together. And that's not talking about it. Roses. Let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now, especially now, as we see the day of his return is drawing near. Now see, I know you don't have to go to church to be a Christian. I know you don't have to go to church to love Jesus, but you know what? Church is important because it's a set time. It's a set time to encourage one another. I don't know about you, but I come to, to encourage and to be encouraged because people all around are encouraging me. I see their stories. I see their faith. I see what they're going through and I am encouraged and I am uplifted by the stories that I hear and the words that I hear of encouragement and church is a set time to encourage one another. It's a set time to grow in our faith. Every time you come to church, it's an opportunity for you to grow in your faith in Christ. This is the point. Come to church so that we can grow in our faith. I'm not going to leave here like I came, right? I'm not going to leave here in the same condition that I came here. I'm going to leave here having grown in my faith. It's a set time for that. It's a set time to exalt the Lord. It's a set time to exalt the Lord. Let everything, Psalms 150, to have breath, praise the Lord. Psalms 100 said, I will enter into his courts with thanksgiving. Enter into his gates with praise. We're gonna, we're gonna come in. Some of you, you need to pass by that cross, start thanking God for what's happening, and then by the time you get in and they didn't hit the first note, you already in the right key. <laughs> Y'all right, I'm, I'm already praising. I'm already, and then tell your face. Because some of you praising like this. You look like you mad at everybody. You got to realize, hey, God's done something for you. God's done something for you. You're breathing today. God's done something for you today. And you need to take the time. It's a set time to exalt the Lord. Now, hey, last thing too, it's a set time to demonstrate our priorities Listen, hey, mom, dad, your children need to see your priorities in action. Most powerful leadership principle for your children is monkey see, monkey do. They're probably not going to do everything you say, but they'll probably end up doing everything they saw you do. And when you make it a priority and you demonstrate your priority, hey, grandmothers, granddaddies, your grandchildren need to see what your priorities are. They need to see what's important to you. And we demonstrate our priorities when we meet together and we refuse to neglect church. But not only that, number five, if we're gonna eagerly 
await his return. You need to renounce complacency in your life. Renounce complacency in your life. So, t- so many of us are okay just being okay. And that's not okay. We need to renounce complacency in our life. 1 John 2, 28 says, and now dear children remain in fellowship with Christ. Why did he say remain? Because we can drift. We can, we can wander away from Christ and not be in fellowship. You know, me and my wife, we, we, we're in relationship. We're always, don't, don't get it wrong. We are always in relationship, but we're not always in fellowship. Sometimes she does ugly stuff. She does. She says stuff that I don't like and we lose our fellowship. See, we've got to stay and it says remain in fellowship with Christ so that when he returns, you will be full of courage and not shrink back from him in shame. See, I'm going to be excited when he comes because I'm going to be in fellowship. I'm not okay with just being complacent. D.L. Moody said this. He said, our greatest fear in life should not be the fear of failure, but fear of succeeding at things that really don't matter. A lot of us are really good and we're really successful in things that really doesn't matter in the eternal perspective. When we look at the things that really matter, are you successful? A.W. Tozer said this, he said, complacency is a deadly foe of all spiritual growth. He said, acute desire must be present or there will be no manifestation of Christ to his people. He waits. Who waits? Jesus waits. He waits to be wanted. Too bad that with many of us, he waits so long, so very long in vain. God help us. See, we've got to renounce complacency. Some of you, you've just been drifting through the motions, going through the motions of church. You've been making sure that everybody thought you was okay on the outside when really you're dying on the inside. And it's time to stop playing games and renounce the complacency in your life and pursue God with everything you have and know that you can move. You can move back in fellowship with God. But it's going to take some effort. It's going to take you coming. He said, draw near to me and I will draw near to you. That tells me I got something to do. I've got to draw near to him. You see, if we truly believe that Jesus is coming soon, we've got to renounce complacency in our life. But number six, we've got to receive more of the Holy Spirit. There's just no way around it. We have got to receive more of the Holy Spirit in our life because we leak. You leak. There's holes in your cup. Some of y'all got some big holes in your cup. Because I, I don't know, like as quick as it goes in there, it's going to come out by the time you got to the parking lot. You're leaking bad. Some of you need to tell yourself that if the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy, you ain't got no fruit. Somebody done plucked your fruit. You might better get some more grapes on the vine. You see, but the good news is, Acts chapter 2, verse 17, 
God said, in the last days, guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to pour out my spirit upon all people because I know they're going to need it. I'm going to pour out my spirit and they can have an unlimited supply of my spirit. My power and my authority, everything I have that God wants to give you. He wants to pour on you. But he didn't just say the church people. He said all people. That's why we're seeing hundreds of people get saved. It's not a coincidence. It's the last days. These are the last days. 258 people that we know of in two weeks, that's not normal. Newsflash. Not for Milner, it's not. God's pouring out his spirit. That's why I hope next week when Pastor Benny releases his book, I remember in 2016 when we started, uh, he started a series on the Holy Spirit. I remember him when he was talking about that series, what it would begin to do. God was doing something in him and he writes about it in the book. He writes about that in this book and I encourage you, I pray that God, we, we would begin to get that book and read it, turn our mind and our attention and our focus back on the Holy Spirit and what God did for us and did for me personally in 2016. I pray that he'll do it again and he starts just turning our life back towards him because we need more of him. David Wilkerson said this, he said, when you strip it of everything else, Pentecost stands for power and life. That's what came into the church when the Holy Spirit came down on the day of Pentecost. It is power and life. And I need power for living. Some of you are struggling day in and day out because you don't have power for living. Power only comes through his spirit and more of it. And I told you, you leak. And so you need more and more and more. And the good news is his supply is unlimited. You can have more. And he gives freely when we ask him. See, I pray that if we're going to eagerly anticipate and await his return, that we'll receive more of the Holy Spirit. But not only that, number seven, that we will reach the lost. We have got to reach the lost. Listen, if you're at the, if you're at the last of, of the game and you're in the very fourth quarter, the very end, you gotta, you wanna give a little bit of extra because listen, this, the game's almost over. You're, you're almost gonna get, you're gonna get a chance to rest in just a minute. But right now we've gotta push. We've gotta push because the game's on the line and we're in the fourth quarter and we've really gotta push hard and we've gotta work hard. Hey, if you're fishing and it's about to get dark, you know, you throw a couple extra times, you know, you're really trying to fish hard, you're working at it. Because it's almost over. You're almost out of time. And that's what's happening. That's what's happening all around us. Is that we've got to have an urgency to reach the lost. Now how do we do that? First word, letter A, there is intercession. we got to start praying. We have not because we ask not. James tells us in James 5, 16, it says the earnest prayer of a righteous person, what? Has great power and produces wonderful results. Well, it tells us that our prayers matter. Our prayers make a difference. Our prayers impact eternity. And we've got to pray. We've got to pray. Martin Luther said to be a Christian without prayer is no more possible than to be alive without breathing. A lot of you are trying to be alive, but you ain't breathing. Ain't no breathing. You're... <laughs> 
We got to be praying. We need to spiritually be praying, crying out to God, communing with God in intercession for others, for people that are lost that don't know you. We need to spend some time praying for others. Letter B is involvement. It's involvement. We got to get off the sidelines. I can tell you if you're on the sidelines when the game's on the line, that ain't a compliment. And all of you are in the game. But some of us keep trying to run back to the sidelines and do nothing. We, we, we're a little nervous about being in the game in the fourth quarter in the last days. But God thought enough of you to have you here. He knew that you had something in you and he was gonna pour his spirit out to equip you to make a difference in his world today. And you gotta get involved. Cause see, we're stronger together. We're stronger when we come together and we say, hey, I'm gonna join together with other people that are like-minded and I'm gonna help to make a difference together. I'm gonna get involved. Jesus said it like this in John 9, 4. He said, as long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me because night is coming. Folks, night is coming. It's on the way. Night's coming when no one can work. See, there, there will come a day, and I don't believe it's too terribly far, but I, I know that there's gonna come a day where you're not gonna be able to tell your lost friends about Jesus because you will be gone. It'll be too late. There's coming a day where Jesus is going to part that eastern sky and we'll be gone. And listen, we're not going to have any more time at that moment to reach the people that we love and care about and tell them about Jesus. It's time to get in the game because listen, I, I know for some of you say, well, yeah, but I, I just don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. And I, I'm going to do it. And, and typically, hey, one of these days is normally none of these days. We look and we've wasted our entire lives and we never got in the game. We never made a difference. We never said what needed to be said because we were worried we didn't know what to say or what if they ask a question I don't know. What if I don't say the right things? But you gotta realize God's gonna help you. God's gonna give you the strength and the faith and the knowledge to do what needs to be done to reach the people. We've gotta get involved Maya Angelou said this, she said, when you do nothing, you feel overwhelmed and powerless. Many people today feel overwhelmed and powerless, but when you get involved, you feel a sense of hope and accomplishment. We've got to get involved. We've got to get involved. In the last letter there, not only involvement, not only intercession, but investment, investment. And I'm talking about our resources. And I know for some of y'all, your pen just ran out of ink and you're not writing that down. Like, well, what happened? It's not working. We need to invest. I was talking to a business uh, leader that just, just this week and he didn't know I was preaching because we don't tell anybody or else people won't come. And so I was not telling him. And he sure didn't know what I was speaking on. But he was telling me he was so excited. And he was saying, you know, Cameron, I, I've just been feeling this conviction for, for a while. And he said, we're hiring a CSO. 
CESO. I, I said, I, I've heard of a CEO. I know what a CFO is. I've heard of a COO. I've even heard of a COW. But I don't know what a CSO is. And he said, it, it's a chief spiritual officer. I said, man, that's cool. What's he going to do? He said, well, this person is, they're going to, they're going to leverage all of our resources. They're going to, they're going to start with our employees and they're just going to start finding out where they are with the Lord. And if they're involved in church and if they're, what they're going through and how we can serve them as a community and point them to Jesus. And he said, and then we're going to branch out from there. He said, we've got a few rental houses. And he said, I'm going to, he's going to be visiting my tenants and he's going to be telling them about Jesus and making sure that they're in church and making sure that they're connected to ministries and that they're growing in their faith. And he said, and then we're going to take all of our resources and all the people that we do business with and we're going to begin to expand out and to begin to impact and leverage my business for ministry. <laughs> I said, wow, what if more people did that? What if more business leaders would have an eternal perspective like you? What could happen if we all invested in the kingdom of God? I was reminded of the story of Oscar Schindler this week. Oscar Schindler in 1939 purchased an enamelware factory in Poland. Now, 1939 was in World War II, Nazi Germany invades Poland. They made a movie, uh, Schindler's List, that tells the story of Oscar Schindler and how he leveraged all of his resources, how he would sell things that he had and he would, he would bribe the Nazi German officers so that he could free and save Jewish people. And he began to slowly sell things that he had and he would leverage all of his resources and everything that he could in order to save their lives. And he ends up selling, or he ends up saving 1,100 to 1,200 Jewish lives from Holocaust, from certain death. And at the end of the movie, it recounts the true story, the true life experience as Oscar Schindler walks out of his factory and all the people are standing around and he walks over to his vehicle and he says, why did I keep this car? Why didn't I sell this car? I didn't need this car. I should have sold this car. This car would have been 10 people that I could have bought their salvation. I could have saved them. They would not be dead right now if I didn't have this car. I don't know why I didn't save this. I sold it. I should have sold it. And he takes a pin off of his, off of his coat and he looks at the lapel pin and he says, this is gold. I could have saved two people. Surely one, but I could have maybe saved two people. Why did I keep this pen? And he begins to weep bitterly and he falls on his friend and he weeps over what he wasn't able to do. He knew in his mind, yes, I saved people and they trying to console him, but he knew I didn't do everything I could do. I could have done more. 
You see, I don't want there to be a day when I stand before God that I have to look Jesus in the face and I will know. Oh, you might be standing around saying, oh, he did a lot. Oh, he worked at the church. He served. Oh, I saw him. Boy, he preached. Oh, it was good. He did a lot. But in my heart, I might be up there saying, but I didn't do it all. I didn't give everything I had. I didn't do all I could do. I could have done so much more. I don't want to stand before God and know that I could have done so much more. God, you gave me a sound mind. You gave me abilities. You gave me resources. Why didn't I use those for you in every way to reach the lost? Why? Why did I keep them so close as if they mattered, as if it mattered in the grand scheme of things? Why? I pray that we'll have a heart to say that's not gonna be me. I'm gonna intercede, I'm gonna pray, I'm gonna get involved, I'm gonna invest, I'm gonna give God all that I can give Him. Because I am eagerly awaiting His return. And each one of us would internalize that in our life. Say there's some things I, I need to, I need to be aware of. I need to stop doing and some things I need to start doing if I'm really gonna eagerly await his return because I wanna help reach the lost and make a difference in the kingdom of God. Thank you for joining us for this week's message from Rock Springs Church. If you would like more information about Rock Springs, be sure to follow us on social media or connect with us at rockspringsonline.com. Join us right here next week for another message from Rock Springs Church.